Being attuned to your child is critical to helping them bounce back from divorce. In today's episode, you'll learn how to give your child the support and tools they need to cope during divorce and beyond. We'll listen to Marty Matika, founder of Life Circles. Marty went through the traumatic experience of his own divorce with his parents, which altered his life forever, and now he's committed to helping others. This is Sharon Pastore, and you're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. We have talked about children and healthy divorce and children um, and tr- the topic of children a number of different times. And what I'm excited about today is really going inside what does it feel like from the child's perspective. And I'm just thrilled that the guests that we have on today has both been through divorce himself, but also now works with teens who are making this transition. And I know for parents that are out there, like how important it is for us to really understand how are our kids experiencing this and how can we support them? So what we're going to really be talking about today is, you know, what are some of the warning signs or that we should look for to notice? Are our kids just going through their natural growing pains of being 6, 8, 12, 15, 18, or are they... Um, suffering as a result of making this transition and struggling in ways that, you know, would involve our support. What are the pros and cons for people who are considering should we be staying or divorcing and how does a child see those alternatives and experiencing them? And then different ways that parents can help make this transition easier. And our first, our, our primary guest today is Marty Matika, who is the founder of Life Circles. And when Marty was five years old, he went through the traumatic experience of his parents. His parents and in his experience, it, it truly altered his life forever. And as a result of the negative effects that he experienced, he went through therapy and a number of transformational seminars to heal himself and then redesign his life. He went back to school eventually to become a counselor and divorce specialist, and he is now happily married with an amazing daughter and, I'll also say, amazing wife, and living <laughs> his true purpose. <laughs> Marty specializes in helping people deal more powerfully with the traumatic experience um, and after effects of divorce, specifically the children and teens who are going through it. He does one-on-one work, group work, and workshops like his Teen Potentials workshop that he does in the Philadelphia area. So welcome, Marty. Thank you, Adina. Very great introduction. I appreciate being on the call. Oh, you're very welcome. And we have another guest that we will introduce shortly who will make a, a, a cameo appearance um, for our call in a little bit. So um, we'll, we'll introduce her as she gets on. But um, Marty, I'm really so grateful that you're here today because, as I mentioned, this is a perspective. You know, we've talked a lot about children and what's healthy for children and how do we put children first. But, you know, to really delve in, like, let's look at it from inside the child's 
you know, experience and really understand divorce. So maybe just first you can tell us a, a few minutes just from your own perspective, you know, how did you experience it as a child that eventually motivated you to invest so much of your life in doing this work? Yeah, really great question, Adina. Um, My parents got divorced when I was five years old. And, you know, for me, I can remember the experience like it was yesterday. I remember my mom and dad fighting, my dad saying that the relationship's over, I'm moving out. I remember just going into my bed and just crying um, and, you know, just asking for help and just realizing I would do anything to keep them together. And for some reason, I blamed myself for it. So as the years went on and on, I didn't really notice many effects of it until I started to hit my teenage years. And that's when I really got in touch with, and again, I didn't word it this way at the time, but not loving myself, not trusting other people, um, just not really caring whether I lived or died. That's how strong the impact of my parents' divorce was in my life. I didn't value my own life at all. Um, I ended up in my teenage years engaging in high-risk behaviors and heading down the wrong path until finally... um, Later in life, I went to go see a therapist for several years, started working through some things, did some transformational workshops, and then ultimately I went back to school to get my master's degree in counseling psychology and learning the professional side of it too. But I really had to rebuild myself up, and um, it just really sent me down a bad path. And, you know, one of the things I've realized is in my research that kids almost always blame themselves. I mean, it seems a little crazy that a five-year-old's like, okay, this is my fault that my parents are getting divorced. But as a five-year-old, it's a younger conversation. We, it's tough for us to realize that it's two adults making an agreement and, you know, we really have no choice in it. But what impacted me the most was that I blamed myself and really didn't value myself much after that. So that's just a little bit of the impact that it had on me, Adina, but I could really go into that a lot more because it was traumatic to say the least. And I wanted to ask you this question as you're describing that, you know, partly my own curiosity and partly because I'm putting myself in the position of listeners out here, whether somebody might be thinking about divorce, beginning the divorce process, like, does every child who experiences, and this kind of leads us into the first area, but does every child who goes through divorce experience the level of trauma, self-blame, and spiraling down the dark path that, that you did as they navigate it. And I guess I'm sort of asking that question because I, I haven't seen that in my kids and because every child's going to have a different experience and things like that. So, you know, does it happen to every child or what are some of the other factors that might be at play here um, that really determine how a child may experience this and what are some of the differences? Yeah, and it's a good question. And just like anything in life, our experiences are all different. So I have a brother who was two and a half at the time. He's two and a half years older or two and a half years younger, and he didn't have the same experience as me. Um, it definitely did set him off down a, da- uh, down a dark path for a little bit in high school, but he was able to work out of it a little bit easier than I saw for myself. For myself, it was a deeper wound. And again, each ch- child is different. Now, one of the things is my mom and dad really were great and wanted to support me along the way. But every time they asked me how much it affected me, I lied to them. 
I said, no, it's fine. No, everything's fine. I'm wonderful. Even, I forget, my dad or my mom was like, you know, most kids blame themselves. They even told me this at a young age. Do you blame yourself? I'm like, no, no, not at all, right? I just, I lied right to their face. So there's a little bit of, you know, first off, the experience is different for each human being and each kid that affects it, just like every area in life. But there's also the fact that we, at least in my experience, I didn't want to tell my parents because I didn't want to hurt them more. I blamed myself. So I would just lie to them and say that it wasn't it wasn't as traumatic as it really was for me. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things we wanted to really talk about is what are some of the warning signs? Because what you're saying is our child is not likely to always tell you, although I'll say mine does. <laughs> Yeah. You know, she she said, you know, you did this and here's how it's affected me. And she was actually pretty blatant and clear about all of it, which I guess was, or one of them was, and that was a great benefit. Um, the one who didn't talk as much, it was harder to know. But what are some of the things as parents we would be looking out for to know since our kids are maybe not telling us or maybe even lying about it? Sure, a great question. And I wrote an ebook on this a little while ago. It's even on my website, life-circles.com. But there's five major warning signs, and a kid may only experience one of these, two of these, five of these. It'll be different, again, for each kid. But number one we look at is shutting down. And, again, that might be like your one kid that you were saying, Adina. You shut down. You don't want to talk. You don't share about the experience. Um, you don't want to bring it up. You lie to your parents similar to I did. No, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm not hurt by it. Meanwhile, inside, I was a wreck. I was really emotionally in a bad spot. And I just didn't want to tell my parents that I didn't want to hurt them more. So I shut down. And it also affected my, my life with my friends, even in uh, elementary school, middle school. I was I wasn't really outspoken in class. I didn't even want to share as much in class. I didn't want to go out and meet new friends. So it was shut down in all areas of my life, um, but specifically around my parents and wanting to have the conversation. So I'd say number one is shutting down, and that's a very, very common effect. Um, number two is almost going the other way, and it's acting out. It's, it's you know, it's... It's going out there, acting out, doing things just to get attention. Um, there's so many things you can do for attention. It could be acting out in school, even at a young age or as you get older, getting in trouble, being smart with a teacher, um, anything to get attention. And sometimes kids will even turn into a class clown. They're really looking for that attention. Why I found that acting out happens is because they don't feel like they're getting the, the attention that they need from their parents. So they try to manifest it and bring it about in a different way. So they act out to try to get the um, attention in that way. Um, number three that I've noticed is really getting in trouble. And again, this was something I experienced, and I believe this happens more in teenage years. So acting out to one level, but getting in trouble is really when you're really hurt, and then you start to get hang out with the wrong people, especially as I'm talking about in the teenage years, high school years. You hang around the wrong people. You let the wrong influences into your life, and you start to do things that you wouldn't have ever thought you would do, you know, engaging in just illegal activities. It could be trying alcohol at a young age or hanging around with the wrong kids that are getting into fights and not valuing yourself, not valuing other people's relationships. But getting in trouble, I mean, that that's one of the most dangerous ones because a kid without realizing could honestly throw their life away. You know, they can do they could break the law and get busted for say a felony. That's on their record forever. They could get a DUI. And that could be on their record forever. So this is probably 
one of the hardest ones to deal with. Um, it's one of the easiest ones to notice, but it, it's probably one of the most important. When you start to see a kid getting in trouble, it's like acting out to another level in a negative way. Really, that's when um, you should get your young kid some help. Number four, I would say, is the inner anger. Um, the inner anger can end up coming out sometimes and be outer anger, but there's a, a, a low level of anger where you're angry at yourself, you're angry at your parents. You can end up getting angry at teachers and other people in your life. And again, it's angry because you felt that your family was taken from you, that you really wanted your parents to stay together and be in the beautiful house and, you know, have the dream that every kid wants to, to have their parents grow up together. I mean, that's what we're taught at a young age. So there's anger that can come out from that. And again, whether it's expressed or not, some kids are better at expressing it and talking about it. Some that will shut down more will keep that anger inside and it can boil up to a point where it can be like a volcano and you can explode. Um, and number five is I like to call it the lone wolf syndrome. Um, for me specifically, I noticed that when my parents got divorced, I didn't have as much help. I actually stepped up and started helping my brother more, specifically when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, helping him do his homework, doing chores around the house. So the lone wolf syndrome is feeling that you have to do everything on your own. Not true, but something kids can make up when you feel like your parents aren't there 100%. And listen, both of my parents wanted to be there and tried to support me as much as possible. But even with all that, I felt like I was on my own. And I've noticed it throughout school, not asking teachers for help or other friends. I've noticed it on certain jobs, just wanting to do projects by myself. This one has impacted me. I'm going to be 36 years old this year, and this one has impacted me really the last 30 years of my life. And still something that I work through. I noticed it's there now and it's like, okay, move past that. Let's start working with other people again because more can be accomplished with other people. So I've realized that over the years. But again, another big warning sign, the lone wolf. I don't want any help. I'm going to do it all on my own. So Adina, I would say those are five of the major warning signs. There's others, but those are the five that stood out the most to me and what I see in my clients. So I, I need to ask you this question because I'm, you know, really curious about it. There are parents who I know are on this call because <laughs> I had brought them here or, you know, who recognize similar types of warning signs, but they're not divorced or they're not divorced yet or they're, you know, really even just curiously thinking about it. So a lot of the things that you're describing are also things that kids who are in families where parents did not divorce might experience as they go through adolescence. And so I'm, you know, I don't know if there's a way to differentiate or, I mean, I imagine that we can't, you know, your parents divorce when you were five and then you experience these throughout. And we know that kids who come from families where parents stay intact experience some of the signs that you just described. So, you know, um, I, I guess my question around it is that, Let's move into the second part, like the pros and cons. If I were a parent listening and say, oh, my God, all those horrible things could happen to my child if we get divorced, you know, now let's sort of go into the pros and cons. Well, do we always stay together because there's a guarantee that if we stay together, these things won't happen, you know, or um, I might traumatize my child in this way. So how much is attributable to adolescence, how much to divorce, and then let's go to the pros and cons of staying or going because both could potentially be traumatic. 
Yes. Yeah, and there is an an attribute that it is adolescence and that kids are, you know, just kind of stepping out, pushing the boundaries. You know, it's part of the teenage years where we're growing into adulthood. So it's a great question because, yes, some kids, even with parents that have an amazing marriage and are wonderful, some teenagers can still go down that road anyway. So specifically in this case, it's noticing if you've had a divorce and your kid's affected in those ways, you can just see that they're affected probably more from the divorce than adolescence, although there's always a bit of that adolescence in there. So it's very tough to distinguish which is which, um, but you know that the, the divorce can be traumatic for the kids. So if they are starting to look at those, at some of those warning signs are starting to come up, then it's good just to get them some type of professional help. And again, even if your adolescent is somebody that's in a married family, everything's wonderful, it's still, it would be great to get help. I wish there was somebody there for me growing up, whether I was of a divorced family or not, to kind of hold my hand, to mentor me, to coach me. Teenage years are some of the toughest years in life going from puberty into adulthood, trying to fit in and the peer pressures. And it's really one of the most challenging times in life. So, yes, some of that is the natural teenage progression and stepping out of boundaries. But when you add in the divorce and the negative effects that can come from it, sometimes it can exponentially make it a little bit worse in some of those kids. So I hope that just gives a little bit of insight there. Um, But so it would seem, all right, great, then let's stay together for the kids. We don't want to harm the kids. The problem with staying together, together. It's wonderful. Both parents are in the house and the family's intact, but there's probably a lot of disharmony. There's probably fighting in front of the kids. There's probably a certain level of inauthenticity or fakeness at which kids can read through that stuff, whether you think they can or not, that we're staying together just for you guys. And it's really a bad example for future relationships to stay in a relationship where your heart's not in it, where you fight all the time, where you're both miserable human beings. So I would say those are some of the major cons of staying together. And for divorcing, some of the pros of it, and we talked about the cons, which is the negative impact on the children and, you know, potential more fighting and things like that, fighting over money or children or time and custody. Um, But the pros of getting divorced are you're being true to yourself. You're being authentic. Listen, this relationship doesn't work anymore. You know, it happens in life. We've all experienced failed relationships. Maybe somebody that's met their high school sweetheart and married them. Maybe they haven't, but I'd say 90% of people have had failed relationships and it's a great learning lesson. And, you know, another positive of getting divorced is you'll have more peaceful environments at each house. At your dad's house, at your mom's house, it'll be more peaceful there. There won't be the fighting. It'll just be a peaceful house, and you get to be one-on-one with that parent. And even you have the potential to build a deeper bond one-on-one with the parents. Um, There's also one other thing that actually happened to me was my dad ended up getting remarried about uh, 18 years ago. So I have a wonderful um, half-sister and half-brother. My sister's 16 and my little brother's nine. And so I got the benefit of that because my dad went out remarried and had more kids. So you get to build a bigger family. The family structure just changes and you, you get to possibly have new siblings, which for me was an amazing, amazing experience to have new siblings, which are almost like my kids age-wise, right? But it was really great to have that. So those, I would say, are the pros and cons of divorce and staying together, at least in general. 
Right, and I just want to add some to that, and then I want to get to our other special guests. But in terms of those pros, um, just a couple of funny things on my end. But my um, daughter, who is now ready to be writing her college essays, and she has shared part of her life's journey and story with you know <laughs> the change in her family situation, her mom making big changes in her life, and things like that. She's been thanking me every day for the last week for all the great material I've now given her for the college essays because all of her teachers are cheering her on with all the great material she has. <laughs> so she's like, thanks, Mom. And she's sincerely giving me these hugs. Thank you for all this great material I have to share about the story of my life. So <laughs> there's an added bonus I never would have imagined at the start of the process. <laughs> and there's another positive. Thank you, Adina. <laughs> so um, we're going to come back to talking about this, but right now what I want to do is we actually have another guest on, a lo- on the line, um, and I'm going to let you introduce her in a moment, where, you know, we wanted to talk about, well, what does it actually look like to support your child when they are struggling? And so somebody, you know, a woman that Marty's going to talk to in a moment has volunteered to sort of come on and say, well, here's something I'm facing and, ch- you know, a challenge that I'm facing, and Marty is going to work with her for a few minutes so that we can really get a sense of what does it look like to identify those signs and to potentially support our children through those. And then we're going to come back into this conversation and really take apart a little bit of what you did with our guests, with Dawn, so that we can say what are ways that parents can get support or give support to their children. So, Dawn, I'm going to invite you onto the line. Marty, you could do a little introduction here, and we'll take a few minutes for your work together. Great. So, yeah, Dawn, me and you just spoke last night for the first time. Um, Really just an amazing mother and just concerned about her kids, and they're all different ages. She has five kids, and she is a divorce writer and blogger. And I know she's up to other amazing things in her life, but I do know that about her. So, Dawn, welcome to the call. Is there anything you would like to say about yourself or get us introduced? Um, Sure, and thank you, and you guys are saying some really great things, so I'm sure others on the call, like myself, are taking in. I'll probably have some food for thought this evening when we're by ourselves, uh, reminiscing about the call. There's always so much to learn when it comes to divorce, and I think that's one of the things that I have learned. Um, Like Marty, I am a child of divorce, and one of the things that struck me was the way parents can set the tone for how your children can handle it, and just very briefly because I'd rather talk about my children than myself. But one thing I do distinctly remember, my brother was four years older than me. And at the time, it was a very clear message. And I think it definitely has impacted me my entire life. Um, And it was, well, Dawn will be fine. She's so young, she won't remember it. So I was positioned as the kid in the family that was going to deal with stuff no matter what happened. And it definitely became this kind of weird thing growing up that probably even has impacted my brothers and my relationship to a degree. So that's just sort of something I would warn parents of being um, careful about. But then again, we do make the same mistakes. And Marty and I talked about that last night as well, because I never thought that I would be following in my parents' footsteps. And of course, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of time that happens, you know, we just model our parents. And again, it's not bad or wrong, but sometimes we model the good and sometimes we model the the not so good, let's say. So 
But again, and again, like we talked about though before, divorcing can be a positive because you are being true to yourself. You're you're giving the kids a way that you can handle relationships. They don't always work out. So again, just wanted to touch on that. But yes, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, one of your five kids and maybe something they're struggling with right now and see if I can give you and all the listeners on the call because that's really my, 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 I want to be of service here for everyone on the call. So if you have a kid that you'd like to share a little bit about, I'd love to give you a little coaching on it, Dawn. Sure. Well, one of the other things that struck me was your line of conversation regarding behaviors that are um, attention-getting and or dangerous. And I do certainly have one of those children, and he is now 20. And over the course of the years, he has definitely been the one to sort of manifest with different behavioral issues and whether it was sort of just being a loner and, you know, kind of on his own to um, sort of being more rambunctious, uh, the surprising thing. And, and I would say that he and the rest of my kids went through a lot of the different phases that you mentioned where, you know, hey, it's cool. All of our friends are divorced. It's no big deal. Like, we get it to, you know, bearing it and then years later coming back and bringing things up. And that's just the one thing I will quickly impress upon because I do my kids are from 16, almost 17 to 25. And I am continually surprised at what resurfaces later on. So the groundwork that we lay as parents, if we don't do such a great job, which is easy to do, tends to follow through and and you're kind of um, facing those issues over and over again. And so here with older kids, um, my one son specifically has had some issues of anxiety and kind of creating some drama in his life and risk-taking behavior. And one of the things that happened about two years ago was we ended up having an issue with some pot smoking. And it wasn't the first time that this kind of escalated. And what it really came down to was he had all this anxiety. And through the course of therapy, it really came out that he hadn't processed the divorce. And there were some things that he was really feeling. And for a while, um, and I think dads, not too slight dads at all, but I think dads tend to, when you, especially when you have a, a boy, Um, that's older and acting rebellious, I think the tendency is to say, you know, oh, you're being manipulative, you're using this as an excuse. And I think the moms tend to just be a little bit more softer about that. But we were both shocked that he was still carrying all these feelings. And I think, um, you know, in my case in particular, because I do have another child who's been voicing some things and she's 22, it's kind of like, I think it's almost easier to work with your kids when you're younger. I feel like there's a lot more support, but as they're getting older and navigating their own relationships and like the life of coming home and choosing where to be over the holidays and all of that. I don't know how to do that successfully um, without causing a lot of anxiety on their end. And I certainly would love to continue to help my kids heal because I can tell that they're definitely not healed. Yeah, definitely. And it's a good point that you bring up because, again, like we were speaking about earlier, some kids are open and vocal about it, but others will just hide it and hide it till you start to see it manifest in some of their behaviors. Um, and specifically, anxiety has been one of the... the I got the most common um, symptoms of a divorce. Anxiety generally comes from, say, a trauma at a young age. Um, 
and then the anxiety can stick with you for years. But anxiety is something we all have at a certain level. So there's ways to manage that. But as a kid and specifically a teenager, the ways they generally manage it would be marijuana, alcohol, going out doing those types of things because they don't know any better. So kind of like you're saying, professional help in any way, you know, a therapist going to workshops, doing a support group. I know there's even some private schools in the areas that do divorce support groups. Um, I know there's one in downtown that one of my clients goes to. So there's those types of things or working with me or someone like me to get that support. And the earlier you see the warning signs, the best to get them in front of a professional, because listen, my parents loved me more than anything in the world and wanted to help me, but they were the last people. People I was going to allow to help me. They were just the last people I would not. And in fact, like I told you, I would lie to them. I, I did not want the help from them. So I so ended up looking. If I had an outside source, the transition might a little might have been a little bit smoother for me. Maybe I wouldn't have gone as far as I did in certain behaviors. But the younger you notice it, the easier it is to start working with it. And again, usually it manifests more in teenage years, but this can happen at any age because kids are all different human beings, just like we all are. So again, some are more vocal, some are more quiet, some act out more, some act in more, but really getting the help as soon as you start noticing some things going on. Um, because as a parent, as much as you love your kids, they may or may not listen to you. I didn't personally, and a lot of my clients didn't listen to their parents. So just looking for a little bit of outside help in there, Dawn, I would say is something that's important, especially when you start noticing things. Well, and especially catching that earlier on, because I think that's the problem where I am is it's like as much as they're voicing stuff, they also don't really want to go there anymore either. So it makes it a little bit challenging. And that brings me to something I was just popped into my head as might be beneficial for other parents to hear is just that, you know, it's hard to know how open to be with your kids, right? And then as they're older, you're kind of more open. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind is something my daughter said to me when we were having a heart to heart is, you know, she said, I know too much. Like, I just don't want to know all these things. And I think that kids were as my son, surprisingly, the one who I mentioned his issues, um, he actually prefers to be in the know. He wants to know what's going on and so does my younger son. So I think that that's kind of the hard part is balancing what they know, what they don't know and having nothing come up that ultimately will pit a parent against each other. And I think that's probably what we all struggle with the most, right? Like trying to get along with your ex. And I think even under the best circumstances, things come up that make you get upset with each other. And even to this day, I say to my kids all the time, even if dad and I were married, we wouldn't get along every day. We would disagree on certain issues. This is not just about us being divorced. This is about us just having different points of view. And I think that is a message that has worked in our case. I don't know if it works for everyone. I don't even know if it's right, <clears throat> but <clears throat> certainly the tone um, I know my ex and I have not set a great tone at all times. I think we've had amazing ways with our kids, and I think we've also failed in a lot of ways. And I'm sitting here with kids who are kind of getting ready to go on their own, but it's never going to change, right? We're going to have – we have another college graduation coming up. We're going to have a high school graduation. We're going to have – uh, wedding engagements. We're going to have bridal shower. You know, we're just going to have so many things that – I feel like it's a lifelong process to yeah. 
Um, and I, I guess more importantly for this call, I feel like there's always an opportunity to make it better. So maybe if you have any, yes. you know, tips on that, that would probably definitely. be a better way to go at it. Definitely, definitely. And I appreciate you bringing that up. And it's specifically what you were talking about is responsible communication, right? Like it wouldn't make sense to talk about affairs with a seven, eight, nine-year-old, right, if that was something that broke up the relationship. So being very responsible in your communication is one of the, the main ways that parents can help make the family transition easier. For sure, that's number one. Number two, being amicable. Um, this was something that my parents weren't that way for a while. I'd say to about 30 13 or 14 years old, where finally I stepped up and said, cut this out, like, or I don't want to talk to either of you anymore. So finally, I stepped up and said something, but being amicable, um, I did my um, thesis paper on the import, the impact of divorce on adolescent children. And that was one of the most important things is being amicable with the other parent, especially in front of the kid, but even in front of the kid, because kids can read through fakeness or inauthenticity. So really honestly being amicable and putting the children first over your interests. So uh, there is, it's not always easy though, because it's a relationship that's broken up. It's, you know, for, for lack of a better word, it's the death of a marriage. And for the parents going through it, it's new for them too, just like it's new for the kids. So Dawn, for you, there's no way that you could have known what to do, right? So parents just try things out um, and hope that they work, the, that work in the right way. But so responsible communication, being amicable with the other parent and authentic to yourself, but not putting all the dirt out there, not all the dirty laundry. Kids don't need to hear all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, being responsible for your actions and feelings is very important too. If you're upset about it, you can share that, hey, I'm upset about this. It's okay. You're, you're showing your feelings. You're showing your emotions. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with it. So I think keeping kids in communication, again, with as much as they can handle. And the parents know their kids better than anybody, and it may be trying things out. If you don't feel like they can handle it and you've tried to give them a little bit of knowledge, then take that part back and don't, don't go down that road again. But you'd be surprised. A lot of kids can handle the conversation as they get to their teenage years more and more because they're starting to deal with their own relationships. So really putting the children first, being amicable and really being responsible in your communication are three of the biggest tips that I have for any divorced parent dealing with their kids. Well, and I think recognizing, um, you know, the reality is that a lot of what they're feeling, whether when they're little or they're older, is kind of what we're feeling. The same anxiety that they have over coming home for college, from college and, okay, we're going to have to go here and we're going to have to go here and, it, you know, Christmas is kind of weird and Thanksgiving is kind of weird and, like... I have the same anxieties that my kids have, and sometimes I probably have them worse because I grew up in a divorce situation and I've, like, had these feelings of sort of, like, missing somebody my entire life. But it's – I think there can be – you know, uh, uh, that's, I think, a hard part for parents is sort of like, how much do I sort of let my feelings known or am I the one that's supposed to make it all feel better all the time? And, you know, sometimes you just can't. Like sometimes, you, like you said, they read what you're feeling. And, and that's hard because parents aren't perfect and relationships aren't perfect. And we do have the same fears that our kids have. And I guess there might be some better ways of um, working through that with your kids rather than usually what happens is you tend to have these very raw moments. Yes. It yes. doesn't don't always come out the way that it meant to, and you probably make your kids feel actually worse than you meant to. 
Yes, and then they feel sorry for you, and then that's hard. So, Marty and Don, I'm going to jump in here. Um, and I think that, um, Don, you've brought up a point a few times, and Marty, you did as well, that I just want to feature for people listening on is that, you know, we've talked about, like, doing it right, doing perfectly, getting it, doing the right thing, all those kinds of terms. And the truth is is that there is no guidebook on this that could that can dictate or help us to know what to do every step of the way. And whether... As parents, we choose divorce or we don't choose divorce, we're going to make a whole slew of decisions in our lives that will impact our children, and some of them will impact in ways, and they'll be sitting on their, you know, therapy chair at some point or acting out in some way because of those things that we're not going to get it right in holding ourselves to a standard that we have to get it all right. I think, you know, coming back to the things that, you know, Marty, Marty, that you talked about, like, the open communication, but very thoughtful and mindful communication. You know, what am I communicating here and what's the purpose of this communication? Is this communication to make me feel better as a parent? Do I think it's making my child feel better? Am I, is it a teachable moment about relationships and dealing with things that are difficult? You know, what are we doing mindfully to try and teach without holding ourselves to this standard of getting it right and getting it perfect. Like, we're just not going to, and there is no perfect standard. There's nothing out there with a big gold star that says, you got it right, you're the prize. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every child in the world will tell you what their parents did wrong. I don't care how wonderful the parents were, (laughs) right? Yes. Yeah, it's really good Um, what you said there, too, because there is no rule book. Every kid's different. Every situation's different. The parents are going through the process just like the kid is. So my advice in that situation is trust your gut. Trust your intuition. You know, if you're not sure, just go with the intuition because, yeah, you you really made some good points about being responsible. And what is the purpose of this communication? Why am I saying it? Am I saying it because I'm mad at my ex or am I saying it because I want to support my kid or make it a teachable moment? That was really a great point, Adina. Right. You know, or am I saying it because I'm trying to win favor here because I feel vulnerable, you know, and to be just very mindful. And I think, Marty, where you were talking about before in terms of getting support, you know, it's interesting when we do things like going out to buy a car, we don't hesitate to like perhaps go to a bunch of our friends and say, hey, what do you know about this one? Or what did you pay for this one? Or where'd you get that? You know, there are all these kinds of decisions that are not nearly as significant as, you know, helping our kids to navigate through divorce that we seek out so much more guidance and support on, but whether it be from shame or it be from overwhelm or financial challenges or things like that, that when we get to this situation of divorce, that sometimes we don't seek out as much support, but yet the magnitude is great and there is tons of support out there, which, you know, we'll come back to in a second. And I think, Don, you know, the question came up, I think, with Don somewhere in there is, you know, what if a child doesn't jump up and down and say, I want to go to therapy or I want to go to a counselor or I want to do those kinds of things. And um, I think one of the things that I want people to, you know, take from the call to is 
that to keep seeding the ideas, like checking out is there a club at school where they can join together with other kids. I know in our case, we also, both their dad and I talked about are going to therapy because before all of this, nobody had gone to therapy anywhere, you know, in the family. I guess the grandmother was a therapist, but nobody had really gone to therapy and it was not talked about. And so we just started talking about it more to make it an idea and our own experience and how it was helpful to us to make it something that our daughter eventually considered and then she came back from her first therapy session thinking it was the greatest thing since sliced bread because she gets to sit the whole time <laughs> and someone listens to her. <laughs> she thought it was the most magnificent thing in the world <laughs> and thought she yeah. wanted to be a professional therapy goer. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that to like we like letting go of some of the sense of urgency of that they're suffering and I have to fix it all now, but recognize that this is going to be a journey and we're planting seeds and we're guiding and we're allowing things to unfold and we're being mindful. How can we be helpful um, to in the unfolding of things? So, you know, Marty, anything you kind of want to say about that as we're sort of coming to the closure of this? Sure. Yeah. Dina, one of the things, you know, I would definitely say about that is like an incentive program, right? Positive reinforcement, they call it in psychology. And I do this sometimes with my three and a half year old daughter. If I want her to do a certain behavior and continue to do it, I'll give you something, you know, I'll give, I'll let you watch a little TV or I'll give you a little present, something like that. Because I know when I was in my teenage years, and again, that wouldn't work for a teenager. I'm just giving an example of a three and a half year old, but giving some type of incentive to go to therapy. I didn't want to go to therapy either and it was the thing that completely turned everything around for me so initially that was not the conversation it's like I don't want to go at all and then my mom said I don't know she's going to buy me a new video game or something like that I'm like all right I'll go to 10 sessions because you're going to buy me the video game very resistant when I walked into the door but I had a great therapist and he was able to just got connected with him and then I ran with it for three years so one I would say is incentive and then the other thing too which is something I do and um, I know other places do as well is would be a support group at schools and I do a group workshop in King of Prussia but it's having the kids around other kids where they can discuss what they're dealing with they're all from divorced parents so they're relatable that way but when they go and they're around other kids sometimes they're a little bit they can be a little bit more open and a little bit more willing to go if it's more kids their age that are also going to be there instead of a one-on-one session with a therapist so just two things I see that can uh, provide some help there. So in, in taking that and kind of moving toward our closure, one thing I'd like you to maybe talk about is how does somebody find, like some people are in the Philadelphia area, they might be able to contact you, but a lot of people are all, all over the country. If someone is looking for, you know, someone who could be a good match for their child, what would they look for? And then tell us about your practice and, you know, how people reach you or find one of the programs that you do. Yeah, so for sure, for finding a good therapist or support group, I would always look for support groups first off because generally they're free and it just gets you in the conversation. There's support groups for adults and there's support groups for kids and more and more at the schools, they're starting to bring it in because they know it's a big need. Um, so definitely looking for that, but almost having an interview with the potential therapist that you're going to use because therapists are like plumbers or like mechanics. There's good ones and there's bad ones. So you really want to make sure um, 
that the therapist is a good match for your kid. One of the things I look for, and I, I'd like to think that I portray also, is a young, light energy, a little bit of fun in the therapy sessions, because it is a heavy topic, but if you could bring a little bit of lightness and fun to it, it makes the conversation flow a little bit easier. No kid wants to go sit there and talk about why they're angry or upset for an hour, but if you bring a little fun into it, if you can relate some of your own experiences into it, you bring a lightness to the conversation because it is a heavy conversation. I think those would be keys in looking for a therapist anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world to work with your kids. And for me, yeah, yeah, yeah what you I was going to say, and I think it is really good, you know, like sometimes our kids are not going to come to the idea so easily, but if we're persistent because everybody needs somebody to talk to, and our kids especially do. So I just appreciate your saying that. So now tell us about Life Circles and tell us about what you do, and if people want to either get a copy of the resource that you shared with us earlier or reach out to you, how would they do that? Sure. Um, you can definitely go to my website. It's light-circles.com. At the bottom, um, you just I need your name and email address. If you sign up for the email list, you can get a free copy of the ebook that I talked about, the top five warning signs to notice in a young person suffering from a divorce. Um, one of the things that's special about my practice is and it's kind of like when, um, I forget if it was Edina or Dawn that brought it up, but the kids don't want to leave the house. One of the things I do is I will travel to people's houses in a general area around Kenya, Prussia, um, and actually work with the kids in their own environment. In my experience, that has them be a little bit more open and comfortable because they're in their comforting surroundings. So that's one of the things I do is I do individual work with one-on-one with kids where I have an office in Kenya, Prussia, which you're definitely welcome to bring them to, or I will travel to your house and work with your kids in their own setting, in their room, in their living room, at the dining room table, whatever it is, to make them feel a little bit more comfortable. I also can do family group sessions with the parents, with the kids all together, one-on-one, half the time with the parents, half the time with the kids. And I'm starting a new group workshop, another one in King of Prussia. We're looking about mid-April, beginning of May, so that's another thing you can contact me for. That will be specifically for teenagers, and it'll be at my office in King of Prussia, which is right next to the Valley Forge Casino. So please contact me. Um, You can contact me through my website, or my phone number is 610-529-5322, and you can contact me that way as well. Thank you, Maria. That was really, really helpful. And, you know, as people are in the stages of either considering or navigating, we want to also offer you some additional support. Um, The Divorce Essentials offers the Divorce Companion for those who are at the early stage, at the stages of either considering or beginning the process and really want to make a commitment to making healthy choices along the way. And that's a multimedia program that is self-guided that people can work on either themselves with their therapist or with a coach um, at divorcecompanion.com. And then we also want to invite people over to the Mainline Family Law Center website at myhealthydivorce.com or mainlinemediator.com where it is one of um, the most prolific websites out there, I think, with resources to support a healthy divorce. And if you're in this area and considering mediation, you can find resources there as well. So, um, Marty, I'm, thank you so much for really being on today and helping to share with us from your perspective of working with teens, you know, a little bit more about how we can navigate as parents and what it is we need to understand. We 
hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.